Support for Think Humanities is brought to you by the Spalding University School of Creative and Professional Writing. Think Humanities, a podcast for people who love history, philosophy, culture, literature, civic dialogue, and the arts. Think Humanities from Kentucky Humanities, where we have been telling Kentucky's story for 50 years. Here's your host, Bill Goodman. The McLean Family Band has become internationally known as one of the most spontaneous, creative, and spirited groups performing contemporary Appalachian bluegrass music. Let's take it right from your website, Raymond. Uh, (laughs) Since 1968, they performed in uh, in all 50 states, 64 countries, uh, during 15 international concert tours, some as musical ambassadors of the U.S. Department of State. The McLean Family Band has appeared on prestigious stages such as the Grand Ole Opry, Carnegie Hall, the Kennedy Center for the Performing Arts, the Lincoln Center, the Metropolitan Museum of Art, and the Carter Family Fold. They have been featured at thousands of festivals and concerts and performed as soloists in more than 230 appearances with orchestras. For 11 years, the McLean Family Band hosted the McLean Family Band Festival. And if we got a treat for you listeners today, because Raymond McLean himself is our guest, and we're so proud to have him in our little studio. This is the man who stood on the stage of the Carnegie Hall in New York, and now he's in our little bitty podcast studio at 206 East Maxwell in Lexington, Hawaii. We've hit the big time, Raymond. Bill Goodman, I'm very excited to be here. Thank you so much for uh, including me in this podcast. I uh, am quite a fan of uh, Kentucky Humanities, of course, and the Humanities Council, and uh, I appreciate so very much everything that you do. Well, uh, I appreciate you saying that, uh, Raymond, and of course, uh, we would have you here whether or not you're doing a concert for Kentucky Humanities or not, but you are. And let me just tell folks about that just real quickly. Um, you're here to talk about a special event on October the 22nd up at the Hermitage, pretty fancy farm up there in Oldham County, and Barn 8, the restaurant. Uh, we're having a Kentucky, fun, uh, a Kentucky Humanities fundraising event uh, with cocktails, dinner, and uh, then music provided by the McLean Family Band. Tickets are available at the Hermitage Farm site. That's hermitagefarm.com. Uh, com. And, and, you know, Raymond, what a treat it's going to be, whether we were going to have, uh, and no cocktails for you, by the way, uh, whether we were going to have uh, <laughs> dinner or not, just to hear you in the, in the band uh, play live uh, is going to be such a treat. Uh, so let's just start there. How how long? Tell me about your your musical history and how long you've been associated with Appalachian bluegrass music. Well, I was raised in Hindman, Kentucky, uh, with my sisters and my brother and my father and mother, and uh, um, we started playing. Uh, my father was a an, a great musician. I'm wondering how far to go back. I wonder if I ought to start talking about my great-grandfather. I think you ought to. Okay. well, Because my... that, that is part of your music genealogy. Well, my great-grandfather, Michael Joseph Kane, came from County Donegal in, uh, in Ireland, and he 
in the uh, late 1800s, he came over. Uh, he was a potter, and he his specialty was painting uh, special designs on pot, on pottery. So he settled in uh, a little town called Crooksville, Ohio, in southern Ohio, and um, because the clay was good. And he didn't work for one pottery. He he had some people that worked with him, and they would tour, travel around uh, to various potteries. And when they had special orders, uh, he would paint the designs. My grandmother, Bicky, Beatrice Kane McLean. Bicky. Bicky was her name, yes. And Bicky, she and I were very close. And when we were traveling, sometimes if there were... Uh, times we'd drive all night, she'd stay up and ride with me while I drove, and and we talked. I mean, from the time I was a child, and she told me all about her father. Uh, and when when she was just four years old, she started traveling with him uh, to around to different uh, to the, the different towns when he would go do special, you know. Uh, uh, orders, and uh, she said there were two places that if her mother had ever known that he took her, she would never have let her go, and she knew she couldn't tell, and one was to the bar room, and the other was to the Catholic church, <laughs> and uh, she knew she couldn't tell that, and uh, so she uh, said her father would sit her on the bar, and she would sing songs for the men, and they would give her dimes. And she uh, started singing from a very early age, and she was a she was a wonderful uh, had a great sense of humor. And uh, my grandfather, um, my father's father, uh, and uh, also uh, was musical. He um, played in a banjo band when he was uh, young and uh, sang with uh, with his friends and. Uh, so uh, they went to, they both, it's a long story. I could tell you lots of details that are even interesting, but I won't uh, because we don't have that much time. But they met at Bethany College. Um, granddaddy uh, majored in philosophy and uh, then went to seminary and uh, went and they, he was given a, a assignment of church to uh, in uh, northern Ohio, in Alliance, Ohio, and that's where my father was born. Very soon after that, they moved to Eureka, Illinois, where Granddaddy went, and he taught for he he preached for another year, and realized that that was not his calling. Uh, and they asked him to become president of Eureka College there, uh, where Ronald Reagan had graduated just the year before. And um, it was struggling, I guess. And Granddaddy said that he he did that. Uh, he thought they asked him because he thought that anyone older with more experience would know better than to <laughs> accept the responsibility. But he he did that, and he was there for several years, and it and was quite successful as a university president. And then he moved to Lexington and was president of Transylvania University before and after the Second World War. And um, 
Uh, I can tell you more about that sometime, but I'm going to go very fast. Uh, he, he served in the, in the Pacific in the Second World War on uh, the island of um, Saipan. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was in military government. The, uh, long story, but uh, no time. Uh, sometime when we have sure. a chance, each one of these could be a whole podcast. Well, I'm just getting a whole to podcast. Say, this will be part one of many. Then. <laughs> yeah, it'll be fine. Yeah. But, uh, uh, and then he went, he was asked to uh, come to Cairo and, and was the president of the American University in Cairo for about 10 years. Uh, and I'll tell you how my grandfather and grandmother's relationship. Uh, was my grandfather was at a meeting and they said we need to know if you're willing to do this because if you're not we're going to do something else but we really want you to do it can't can you go and he said well I'd have to talk to my wife and so he called my grandmother and said Vicki I've been asked to come to Cairo will you go and she said, yes, Egypt or Illinois? <laughs> she said, yes, first. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's sweet. She would have gone with him anywhere. Mm-hmm. And um, so they were there for about 10 years. Grandmother was active in the International Folk Music Council mm-hmm. with people like Mar- Maud Carpolis, who was uh, Cecil Sharp's assistant. And um, and that's another story in, uh, <laughs> that would be an hour long, too. But... Um, Your uh, my father and mother met at the Craftsman's Fair in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. They were dancing. Uh, Daddy was playing the music, and mother was dancing, and uh, that's where they met. Daddy was. Uh, my father had gone to Denison University in Granville, Ohio, studied music theory. He did a little graduate work, and he did very well there. He did a little graduate work at Harvard. He had a a full scholarship there Mm. and did not like the fact that his teachers all wanted him to be interested in modern classical composing and atonal music and things that did not, styles that really did not appeal to him. And they criticized all of his music because they they said it sounded too much like folk music and too much like country music, which he liked, mm-hmm. and uh, so he left, and he uh, was drafted, went to Fort Sam Houston in, in San Antonio, Texas, and uh, mother also went there, and that's where they married. Um, after he was discharged, discharged from the Army, uh, oh, and I think it's interesting, he tried out for the Army band, but they, a lot of people wanted to be in the Army band. And uh, they said because he was a musician, they knew he would be trustworthy and good with his hands. So they put him in the dental corps. <laughs> and he spent all the time during the Korean conflict making gold, huge gold models of false teeth. <laughs> and he still doesn't know why. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and then he went to uh, University of North Carolina to study folklore. And uh, uh, very soon after that, while he was there, I was born, and we, he moved immediately to Hindman, Kentucky, to um, the uh, Hindman Settlement School, where he was hired as recreation director. 
And he was there for, uh, at that time, there were, I think, 47 one-room schools in Knott County, and he went to all of them. And he said that the conditions were such that the, their financial situation that they could not afford a spare tire for the Jeep. So he had four slick tires and going up and down creeks and in and out of places that you shouldn't go without a spare tire. <laughs> Was and he playing music at the time? He certainly did. He, a matter of fact, he took up the accordion at that time because some of the schools didn't have electricity and some didn't have, you know... Uh, and so it, there wasn't a, a chance of playing a, a record or uh, using, you know. So he, he thought if he learned to play, he already played many instruments, but he thought if I learned to play the accordion, I can play for country dancing uh, and be fairly self-sufficient. And he became an amazing accordion player, uh, in my opinion. He was really good. And he uh, played for, for, for country dancing. I mean, he could play other instruments, but that was really useful. Well, we're surrounded in this little uh, podcast studio uh, uh, we have with uh, fiddles and guitars, and I, I, I guess that is that a is that another guitar over that's there? That's a banjo right, right there. Okay, that's a banjo <laughs> over there. But so the question is, did you learn the accordion from him? No, uh, I didn't. He he taught me a few things about the accordion. I can play the chords on the left hand and the the bass line of that. I never got very good with uh, with a keyboard, mm-hmm. either piano or accordion or anything else. But um, early early in the sixties, um, Ethel Caps was the director of. She was recreation director at Berea College. Had the Berea College Country Dancers, and she rehearsed and studied dance, country dance performance. And she studied everyone from the Ballet Folklorico to, um, to um, um, names are flying out of my head like crazy. Mm-hmm. And she uh, really made the country dancers, and she had some wonderful dancers, a crack performing team. And they performed uh, at the White House when John Kennedy was president and toured Latin America. And she asked Daddy to go as music director. And Otto and Marguerite Wood went as well as musicians. And um, um, So your daddy played the music for the, the dancers when they were performing? Yes, and he, and he was the music director for the band mm-hmm. because he had a very good band. Mm. Um, and that, they were playing what kind of music? Country, country dance music. Yeah. They were playing music for country dancing. Mm-hmm. And uh, very shortly after, and they toured all over Latin America, and that, again, is another hour-long conversation. Mm-hmm. But right after he got home, the violinist Arthur Rubenstein came. Uh, he wanted to do one last tour uh, before he retired. And he wanted to go, he said he wanted to go places that people could not afford him. And he came to Heinemann, amongst other You're places. You're kidding me. Now, I've never heard that before, really. And he walked in the gymnasium. They did a school assembly, and Daddy, and they, well, the whole town was there, walked in the school auditorium, and uh, he didn't know how respectful people in Heinemann would be, or young people. He didn't realize that they would pay attention to him, and he didn't have to do something to get their attention, because at that time... 
people were very respectful. But he walked out with his violin. He said, this was violin... Was it a Stradivarius? It was a Stradivarius. This violin is a Stradivarius. It's rare and it's worth... And he told how much money it was worth. He said, and I am however old he was at that time. And he said, I've practiced every day since I was four years old for hours every day. And I have... I'm recognized as a, a fine violinist, and he played, and he was wonderful. Yeah. And Daddy thought, he said that was a pivotal time for him. He thought, here is Arthur Rubenstein. He's playing Stradivarius. He's worked diligently since he was four years old. He said, across the creek sits my accordion. I paid less than $100 for it. I'm not very good. I... I've only been playing for a few years, and I practice when I can. But, and, and, and Arthur Rubenstein said, I've played at the White House, and I've toured internationally. Daddy thought, I've played at the White House, and I've toured internationally. What's the lesson here? And he said, I guess the lesson is that he's doing something that a lot of people do. I'm doing something, I'm the only person I know, very few people who play accordion for country dancing. And he said, I guess if you do something that is different, something that everyone else is not doing, and something there'll be a place for you if you work hard and you're diligent and you don't quit and you, mm. um, and you do something that no one else is doing, there's a place for you. If you're doing what everyone else is doing, it's... Uh, so yeah. um, he... Uh, told that story a few times and and I I tried to take it to heart as well mm -hmm. because even even when you're with a lot of people and you're all doing the same thing if you can do it in a different way or do it or do something sort of look at the big picture daddy was very good at that he was resourceful we started playing music he loved music and he had music in the house all the time in Hyman Kentucky and there were one of my earliest mu memories as a child is going to sleep at night listening to him and other people playing music mm. in the living room. Did you pick it up naturally, Raymond? Or, or, whoa, did, was it something that came easy for you? Was it, uh, uh, and, and the, your sister, and, uh, or were you just sort of expected to, to do this and, and you picked it up that way? There was never any pressure to do it. He... Uh, Daddy made opportunities for us if we wanted to do it. He certainly made um, made opportunities uh, and would practice with us anytime. But he never insisted that we do it or forced us to do it. He would he would say, "Do you want to practice one time?" If we didn't pick up on it, and he'd play with us, practice with us. He mm -hmm. loved practice. He said, "Practice is the best part." It's my favorite part of music because it's the time when there's the most improvement. You're getting better. Even if it's a difficult practice, if you work at it and you're getting better, you're improving. He said the, the performance is a very small percentage of the time you're actually working on music. Mm -hmm. The performance is what people see, but he said my favorite time is the practice. What was one of the earliest songs... Um, uh, either instrumental or, or vocal that you remember learning from your daddy? By them cabbage down on the fiddle uh, was the first. Can, can you but, play a little bit of that for us? I love, yeah. <laughs> 
When I was a little boy, my dad took me to town. We saw some old men whittling, there were shavings all around. One man picked a banjo as we all gathered round. One sought out a fiddle tune, barrel him cabbage down. Bailing cabbage down, boys, bake them hookheads brown. The only song that I can sing is Bailing cabbage down. Bailing cabbage down, boys, bake them hookheads brown. The only song that I can sing is Bailing cabbage down. Thank you, sir. <laughs> that was wonderful. That was beautiful. And that's the first song that, uh, that you learned. Yes, Bowling Cabbage Down. Well, that was great. And we're going to hear uh, some more music and hear about your life story. I'm going to take a pause here and thank our wonderful underwriters, uh, Spalding University's Writing School, the senior Judah Naslin Karen Mann uh, Writing School at Spalding University. We'll be back right after this word. Spalding University's low-residency MFA in creative writing offers outstanding instruction in a supportive literary community. Study across genres. Explore the interrelatedness of the arts. Travel to Paris next summer for short-term study abroad or stay at Louisville's historic Brown Hotel during week-long residencies on campus. Study fiction, poetry, creative nonfiction, writing for children and young adults, and writing for TV, screen, and stage. Learn more at spalding.edu forward slash writing or email schoolofwriting at spalding.edu. Raymond, uh, you have such a, uh, a history with music uh, from your grandparents and your father and, and, and yourself, uh, the band that you're playing with now. And you play all over the place and you still are, are playing regularly. Um, are, are we losing some of uh, the, the old time music? Are, are people still playing it? Is, it? is it out of fashion, out of date? Or do you think maybe people are still hungry for uh, the kind of music that you grew up on? I think that, um, that music is part of us. Music, our country music and our traditional music is the lifeblood of our mountain culture, in my opinion. We have uh, something here that is not just about the flavor of the week. It's not like the hit parade. This is something that is has been part of our culture in our families and in our friends and in our communities for I, I don't know how many hundreds of years and it's going to be on into the future and it's not always going to be uh, chinkapin and 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 uh, you know the same songs mm -hmm. it, but it'll be related to it because that's in us that's part of it and so if we look backwards and we say, and people that we know or we remember, we've heard of, and 
uh, and even the early days of the recording industry and on up, uh, people were afraid when um, music started being recording that the folk process would stop. It didn't because people continued wanting to play their own uh, music the way they felt it. So the the music that we grew up with, and if it was the music of the Ritchie family, or if it was the music of the Carter family, or if it was the music of Roy Acuff, or the music of, I don't know, you know, mm-hmm. Hank Snow or Ernest Tubb, or mm-hmm. uh, Kitty Wells, or right on up, you know, uh, in Bill Monroe, uh, the Stanley Brothers, uh, uh Lester Flatt and Earl Scruggs, uh, uh, Jim and Jesse, the Osborne Brothers, the Newgrass Revival, uh, Chris Steely. It's all part of the same, it's all part of the same stream of mm-hmm. tradition. Mm-hmm. And yeah, if you listen to Tyler Childers or Jesse Wells or people that you can hear today on the radio, you can still hear the same music, the same feel, the same uh, inflection, the same... uh, It's still serving the Mm -hmm. same purpose, and it's still as passionate. Mm -hmm. It's still as uh, relevant. It's still still that Mm -hmm. part of us that is important. And will always be. And it's part of who we are. Mm -hmm. It just is. And Maybe a young person who hears Chris Stapleton sing or or may not realize that there is Bill Monroe mm-hmm. in in that, but they hear the feeling. Mm-hmm. They may not realize that there's, you know, uh, if if they're listening to Elvis Presley, they may not realize that Arthur Crudup is there. Mm-hmm. If they're listening to Bill Monroe. Uh, they may not realize that Arnold Schultz is part of that music yeah. or D. Ford Bailey, or they may not realize, but they hear it yeah. and they feel it. When did you decide that um, music was going to be your, not that it wasn't going to be your life because of <laughs> your upbringing, but that, that you could you could make a living at it and you could appear on the stage of the Grand Ole Opry and and that, my goodness gracious, you could play with a symphony. I mean, I, I don't know if you ever imagined that when you were growing up, but um, when, when did you realize that this is what I want to do for the rest of my life, and here you are still doing it? I never decided that. I never decided <laughs> it. I never made that. Uh, it's just it was who I was, and it's what happened. Um, I was very fortunate to grow up in the family I did and in the community I did. I had so many opportunities to play with people in Eastern Kentucky that were nice to me. People, and, and my family, and my father, and my sisters, and brother, uh, people like uh, Ray Sloan, Jack Chaffins, uh, Burl C. Ritchie, and his wife Vita, um, um, Isom Ritchie, uh, uh, Gene uh, Ritchie. Um, uh, Columbus Brewer, his son People Doris. People that just brought you along with them. His son I mean, Doris, just... his daughter Sue, and his yeah. wife Alice, and uh, <laughs> and people that uh, people that were and, and the Stampers. All of the Stampers played. You would play with us, Mark Barker, my friend, uh, 
that I grew up with, people were nice to us and yeah. would play with us and. And, but but uh, you weren't you weren't the McLean family band at that time. No, no, we never intended to do that for a living. We 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 sang in the living room because we liked it, and we wanted to. Our first public performance was at Sloan Maytag Company's grand opening when they moved <laughs> the store across the creek. Uh, our first paid performance was for Uncle Charlie's Meatpacking Company in Hazard, Kentucky, for their Christmas party when they invited us to come there and they paid us I think $97 and some change and uh, we started playing on uh, at right about that time in 1968 WKYH television station went on the air in Hazard Kentucky Bill Gorman uh, started a station there and uh, they'd been on the air about two weeks and uh, I went into the um, office which was downtown and and there was a lady sitting there at the desk and i said uh, uh could i talk to the program manager and she said okay well i guess that would be me <laughs> and i said well i play music with my family and we'd like to have a series on your station she said okay <laughs> i said well shouldn't we audition or something she said yes yes that would be a very good idea she said let me see i have a spot tomorrow night on hall senior citizen corner can you come and i said yes <laughs> so we went up and mr hall was very nice and he introduced us we had to drive up uh, it was raining and the only the the studio was in the transmitter which was at the top of the hill above la citadel above gorman ridge there at, and uh, in hazard and um, there was no road up to it the only road up was the path that the dozer cut going up to make the foundation for the for transmitter the transmitter yeah and so we went up and they had a camera and it was sitting on some portable stairs there's no tripod and you no way to move the camera you just had to stand where the camera showed <laughs> and um uh so daddy and alice and ruth and i started singing and we had sung about three numbers and a man walked in right in the middle of everything walked right on the store and stuck his hand out and said i'm bill gorman i own this station and i'd like to offer you a 50-year contract <laughs> he said this right on the right on the air he said uh, anytime you want to play on this station for the next 50 years i don't care what we're doing we'll preempt the news you just come and sing and play and we'll put you on yeah so we started a weekly program there every uh, thursday or tuesday night i can't remember which it was at seven o'clock and i think it was one and they moved it to the other and we played there for uh two two and a half years until we moved out of the area they didn't have any v video recording equipment at that time uh, everything they showed was either live or on 16 millimeter film. I'm surprised that Bill Gorman let you out of a 50 year contract. Well, I don't think it, we ever we never <laughs> left it. I, we've we've been back a time or two. <laughs> well, he's everybody. Uh, we in, went back in in, in uh, let's see about 70. Would have been about 74 or five with, uh, with Bill Monroe. Bill Monroe was oh, starting goodness. a. Uh, we were good friends, and by that time. And uh, Bill was inviting the McLean family band to play on all of his festivals all across oh, the country wow. at that time. Yeah, this would have been about '74, I think. And he and Melvin Goins and uh, well, Ralph Stanley was on the festival, and and uh, Don Reno 
uh, and Bill Harrell. And, uh, Bill could draw a crowd, couldn't he? Oh, my gosh. Or did they come see the McLean family band at that point? <laughs> <laughs> no, it was, uh, it was all. Well, listen, as we talk here, grab your, uh, uh, one of your other instruments there, okay. maybe your guitar, and, and think about what you'd like to, well. to pick here for us or, or sing or play. And um, again, your, your musical um, travels uh, throughout your life, and you, you did take a little time out there to, to, to be uh, quite educated, did you not? Just tell us that before we, we hear a song, well, because you, you ended I up with... To, I went to Berea College. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was very fortunate to have that opportunity. I was started at Lee's Junior College in Jackson, and then I, had, I was very fortunate because um, Berea College asked my father, who never intended to be a teacher, uh, to come to uh, Berea to um, develop and teach a class in bluegrass music and a class in Appalachian music. And this was in 1971 that he came. And so he developed and taught the first college course in bluegrass music and the first college course in Appalachian music. Worked with Loyal Jones at the uh, Appalachian Center. Mm-hmm there and uh, Berea College offered those classes and Daddy stayed and taught them for about three or four years until our schedule was so busy he didn't have time to do that anymore and during that time I attended uh, Berea College and was and my sisters as well and I was very fortunate to um, to have that experience it was a wonderful experience and um, I'm gonna leap forward here quite a bit because you just left your position at Moorhead. Yes. And that you loved and that you, I think, did you tell me that you uh, thought you'd be there just a, a year or so and it ended up being 10 plus. Well, that was, that was uh, I, I said that about uh, my experience with Jim and Jesse. When okay. I, uh, my, my family in about 1990, my sisters all married, and my my father had been on the road a lot, and and um, so he went back to University of Kentucky, got his master's degree in library science, and was a reference librarian at the Lexington Public Library. Uh, still loved music and came and played, and some on occasion too. My sisters wanted to stay home and raise families, so I went to Nashville and I started playing first banjo and then later fiddle with uh, Jim and Jesse and the Virginia Boys on the Grand Ole Opry and doing recording yeah. and touring and so forth. I, during that decade, I had the opportunity to play music from the stage of the Opry more than a thousand times. Wow. Because during that time, especially in the early 90s, they were doing two shows on Friday night, two shows on Saturday night, matinees on Tuesday, Thursday, and Sunday. And if we weren't working on the road somewhere else, we were we were there. Um, so, uh, and I intended to be with them maybe a year, and ended up staying. Okay, a that's decade. what it was then. Yeah. And then I went. Uh, Jack Toddle was the director of the bluegrass music program at uh, East Tennessee State University, and he asked me if I'd come there and be his assistant director. And I went, and I never thought I would be a, a teacher either. I hadn't gone to school to do that. I, I just had a bachelor's degree. But um, the provost at um, ETSU, Bert Bach, uh, said that in his opinion, my professional experience was equi- equivalent to a terminal degree in my field. All right. And um, they uh, asked me to come with that understanding that uh, yeah. 
that because um, I had toured a good bit by that time and had composed, recorded, and soloed with orchestras, and mm-hmm. uh, and there were a lot of reviews and and things. And you had they, a resume. They <laughs> they were very kind to accept that as as yeah. as. Uh, and so I was there for 10 years. Uh, when Jack retired, I became the director. And uh, with uh, working collectively, um, we put together a Bachelor of Arts degree uh, there in, in Bluegrass Old Time and Country Music. And it's still uh, the largest program anywhere, and it's a wonderful program. But uh, in 2010, um, Wayne Andrews had been at East Tennessee. Well, he'd been at East Tennessee State University, and his daughter was one of my students, actually. Mm -hmm. And Jill Andrews, if you have the opportunity to hear her, she's amazing. Mm -hmm. Wonderful songwriter and a a great artist singer. Um, To make a long story short, Dr. Andrews asked me if I'd come to Moorhead State. Uh, The director, uh, my predecessor, Don Rigsby, had just left to spend more time touring and more time on his professional career, which uh, he's amazing. And uh, so, but it left a a position there and Dr. Andrews asked if I would come. And I was honored to do it because there was a great team there. And um, Jesse Wells was there. Uh, Now Nathan Kaiser, Scott Miller is there. Uh, Megan Gregory, uh, Thomas Albert, one of our graduates is there. Daxon Lewis is the new director. I just retired, and they had, the university hired Daxon Lewis as the new director. He of the plays Kentucky in your band. Center for traditional music. He does. How's he going to have time to do that? He's also uh, your road manager and your publicity <laughs> hound and your marketing. Well, he wears many hats, <laughs> and uh, but. Um, I did those things when I was director. <laughs> I toured a lot also. Yeah. I toured with Mike Stevens, the harmonica player from Canada. Um, uh, did I mention Nathan Kaiser? I certainly meant to. There's some others. Uh, I, I could So a lot of good folks there. A lot of folks there. Yeah. Um, but you just left uh, within the last uh, I just short retired. Time. I did. Yeah. And uh, it, I, had, I was there 12 and a half years. Yeah, and wow. And it was a wonderful okay. opportunity. We have a Bachelor of Arts degree there. Uh, a student can come and actually actually yeah. earn a university degree in traditional music. And I, I tell you, that's a new thing. If that had been possible when I was going to school, I guarantee that's where I would have been. Well, do, the, uh, do the students, I mean, it's sort of naive on my part to even ask, uh, they, they play, they sing, uh, they study, uh, all, of the, all of the above? All of, the form, all of our former students, um, as of last year, I know this is true, I think one may not be working in music, I think she's married and has, a, has other interests. And I think another of our former students is getting her uh, master's degree mm-hmm. in in music therapy. And uh, but with the exception, I mean, everyone from the Price sisters to the local Honeys to uh, mm-hmm. to Andrew Preston, who has the group AP Harbor and has done the Wood Sheep with uh, and um, uh, uh, Bailey Henders, Bailey Tackett and. Uh, um, her husband, Austin Tackett. Uh, I could, so, so they're just so many of yeah. our former students are working in in music, uh, in traditional music, music. The, 
for their local honeys have opened for Tyler Childers yeah. uh, and our faculty tour. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the strengths of the program is the fact that people not only have experience to know, I always thought it was more important than teaching students another technique or another lick, which we do, but what's more important than that is to help them learn to live their lives as artists. Yeah. Because it's hard to live your life as an artist. I mean, you can look at uh, people that had the perfect career, and you could say Hank Williams or Elvis Presley or Michael Jackson or Whitney Houston. You could say they had the perfect career, the career I would want, but I don't know if they were really happy mm-hmm. people. And I want our students to have the career they want, but also have the life they want mm-hmm. and be able to go out and make this music and be creative and do exactly what's on their heart and love it every day. Well, Raymond McLean and the McLean Family Band are going to uh, play some wonderful music uh, for you uh, at the uh, Hermitage Farm in Oldham County, uh, Barn 8, the restaurant. Uh, it is a uh, an event um, uh, on behalf of Kentucky Humanities, and we we thank our um, great board member Lois Matus and her interest in. We certainly uh, do for many things. For this, many many this things, is, but this especially I was going right to say now. not only for good food, but for good music <laughs> too. And uh, uh, tickets are on sale at uh, hermitagefarm.com, and Raymond's gonna. Um, Play us out with now, something else. He's got he's got his guitar now, now on his lap. Russ Farmer, my good friend, says this song is a downer, and it may be too much of a downer for this, but it's it's one I love. Um, I heard a friend talk about being at a hospital with a dear friend of hers as his wife was dying, and they'd been married for like seventy years. And he told her that he'd never gone to bed one night without his wife in all that time. And she said the impact of this didn't really hit her till she went home that night and went to bed herself. And she thought, oh my God, he's going to bed the first time alone in all that time. And that story uh, sort of inspired me to write this uh, with, with Sasha Colette. She wrote this with me. It's called The Nightbird. Near, 
please send a sweet dream for me. They lowered me down today in a countryside grave. I saw the tears that filled your eyes. In dreams we can dance, live, love, and romance. In love you'll know I'm here. You give a love so rooted, you give an anchor for this ship to stay ashore. Together forevermore. Now the night bird's quiet. Yes, sleep is here. Will you dance with me in our dream? This is our dream we can do as we please. Take my hand, take my lead, we'll dance cheek to cheek. Oh, it's been so long since we felt we could dance. Take my heart, take the step, take the chance. In dreams our dance can last forever Every dream's a new beginning Every dream can be better Than the dream that came before Angels can fly so high And we can love so deep And now I lay me down to sleep. Raymond McLean, thank you, sir, for being here. Thank you so much, Bill Goodman. It's been my honor and my pleasure. Think Humanities is a podcast from Kentucky Humanities, where we have been telling Kentucky's story for 50 years. Think Humanities is available at kyhumanities.org, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Join us next week for a new episode of Think Humanities.